Hey folks, welcome back to the DC Three Cast. I am Brian. With me, as always, are Zach and Vince. We are going to be talking about the comics that came out on August thirtieth, twenty seventeen. So, if you haven't read those comics yet, pause the podcast, go do so, and then come back and join the fun with us. We also have a really fun second half of the show planned for tonight. So, definitely stick around after the reviews. Uh, we'll get more into that in a little bit. But uh, this is kind of a light week. It's the the fifth Wednesday of the month, and that means that DC has thrown a few annuals at us, as well as a few of these uh, Jack Kirby 100th birthday celebration books. So it's, uh, it's a lighter week, but there's still some uh, some fun stuff going on here. So we'll get right into it. We'll start with All-Star Batman number 13, written by Scott Snyder, illustrated by Raphael Albuquerque. Um, this is the penultimate chapter of this arc that sees uh, the first ally arc, which is simultaneously uh, sort of an Alfred story from years past and a, a Bruce and uh, Hush story, uh, lots of Miami in it. Uh, it. It's it's definitely one of my favorite of the All Star Batman arcs thus far. Even if this issue pushes things a little bit, I think further than maybe uh, I would have liked or expected to. I don't know. I'm getting, getting ahead of myself here. What did you guys think of this issue? I. I think that maybe this was my least favorite issue of the arc so far. And I can't quite tell you why. (laughs) I'll tell you why. Go for it. Because I was enjoying the way that this arc was like... Remember, I was worried when when they were talking about how this was going to be a Alfred-centric arc, talking about his past as a hooligan or whatever, right? Mm Mm-hmm. And what it what it turned out was, uh, you know, it was quite a bit this like swashbuckling uh, Batman story to go along with it, and it was it was like an even dose of each, and that was keeping me in it because I was really into that story, and 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 as a result, I didn't mind the the Alfred stuff too much, and this I- issue was just so much Alfred backstory. <laughs> um, yeah. And I just found it difficult to care. Like anytime it was, anytime Batman was there, and and it was talking about uh, Alfred's relationship with Batman or his relationship to what Bruce goes out and do, you know, goes out to do every night. I was into it, but I don't know if I, I don't, I don't, don't really care about much else than that when it comes to Alfred. I, I found this issue particularly talky too. There's a lot yeah. of dialogue and a lot of, um, you know, uh, captions and things like that. That just felt like everything was maybe slightly overexplained, which is, you know, if we're being honest, I think when when Scott Snyder is not at his best, he can tend to over overword a page, um, and I felt that was probably true of this of this issue a bit. Um, I mean, Albuquerque's art obviously looks great. And, uh, you know, I, I have no, I have no long-term problems with this, with this arc or this issue. This, you know, I, I think it's, it's telling a story that probably will wrap up nicely in a few issues or it's just one issue, right? Isn't there just one left? One mm-hmm. left. Yep. Yeah. Just got delayed. They said, yeah, I think it's three weeks, something like that. So I, I think it would be all right. It's just, 
I think you hit the nail on the head, Vince. I think that this is missing that super fun swashbuckling Batman that we got uh, for a few issues in a row. Um, do you guys have any interest in the backup? Because I certainly certainly do not. I nope. skipped it this time around. Zach? No, yeah, I haven't been reading it for a while now. Yeah. Although I did have a thought, which is that I feel like having a fun backup that's maybe by a different creative team would be kind of in line with what this book is at least what I thought this book was supposed to be which are these sort of like fun standalone bat stories that aren't super steeped in continuity you know and having a couple of creators come on and and do uh you know a uh not an out of continuity bat story but one that's not so intimately tied to continuity is a fun idea. I just wish that it was a fun story. Yeah. Uh, yep. It's not really, but all right. Uh, did anyone but me read uh, the DC bombshells issue? Well, because technically that's not coming out till next week, isn't it? Uh, I well, the first digital volume came out last Friday, the Friday oh, before okay. release, and then the second one comes out. Tomorrow, as we're recording this, so by the time our listeners hear this, both halves of this will be available digitally. I see. Well, I I definitely plan on reading it because I really liked the, uh, okay. the first series, but I just had I hadn't because I was waiting for the the issue. Okay, well we'll talk about it next time then. That's fine. Um, uh, that brings us to uh, the Jack Kirby, the first of the two Jack Kirby uh, 100 birthday issues. This is the Black Racer and Shiloh Norman. And um, let me tell you something. I forgot how complicated the Mr. Miracle uh, <laughs> continuity was before I dug into this issue. Yeah. Um, but that said, I uh, I did enjoy this issue. And uh, let's get to the creative team here. It's a pretty, pretty powerhouse uh, creative team. Uh, Reginald Hudlin wrote it. Uh, Dennis Cowan and Ryan Benjamin did the pencils. Bill Sienkiewicz and Richard Friend did the inks. And um, I don't know. I really enjoyed this issue, actually. I, I think that it it handled a lot of the... Um, it felt very Kirby-influenced, which, surprisingly, we've talked about this before, not all of these books have felt that way. But just sort of the premise in general felt very you know Kirby-ish. And the Black Racer is, like, the most Kirby thing in the universe. Like, a a character literally on skis that is chasing after you to kill you is <laughs> is the most Kirby thing I can imagine. You know, so, um, yeah, I, I thought this, this was a lot of fun. What, what did you guys think? I, I um, thought it was fantastic. Um, yeah, same. I think this maybe is my favorite of the one-shots. I think it was my favorite, yeah. I think it'll be my second favorite to one that we haven't talked about yet, but but very Ooh. close, very close. Tip your hand uh, a little bit. Yeah, we're gonna have I words about to. that, friend. What's that? We're gonna have words about that. I think. Are you serious? Yeah, we're probably gonna have some words. Yeah. Oh no. <laughs> okay. But let's focus on this for now. Um, yeah. So so let's just start with the premise, okay? That uh-huh. that Mister Miracle is being shot into space, <laughs> strapped to a rocket. With three, like, missiles headed towards him. And if he can get out, this asshole billionaire will donate a million dollars to charity. <laughs> hmm. Hey, who was that billionaire, by the way? 
Well, it was really it was really subtle. I couldn't figure it out. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. We'll leave it at that. Um, but yeah, super fun. I I had forgotten that Shiloh Norman was introduced in the Kirby run of Mister Terrific. Oh yeah, I had totally Mister Miracle. Mister Miracle, I'm sorry, Mister Miracle. Yeah, I I had totally forgotten that. Um. But this, and, and, and to be fair, they really didn't get too bogged down in continuity. They explained just enough to get the reader there. And uh, yeah, I thought this was a super fun issue. Yeah, I loved the ending. The ending, that, you know, where he makes the great escape, of course, you know. Yeah. Um, they pulled that off really well and they made it, even though you knew it was going to happen, you know. Yeah. Like they made yeah. it. They made it impactful and exciting and and triumphant really i mean yeah it was good yeah i i almost liked um i know this was in name like a well actually okay so i'm, I'm going to the title did was this only did mystery miracle get the only billing or was no black racer wasn't the title too yeah he is actually yeah black racer and child norman okay um yeah i liked the stuff that they did with the black racer in this a lot. Um, probably more than the Mr. Miracle stuff. Um, I just thought it was really interesting and really well done. And it was cool to see Omac in there as well. Yep. That's um, right. There was an Omac story. Yep. Well, no, 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 not the well, Omac story. Omac appeared oh. in this story. The Omac story is in the other issue. Yeah. yeah. Oh, oh, it is. Okay. All right. I yeah. Can't, yeah. I couldn't remember. We had a double that. OMAC dose this week. Yeah. Yeah. I guess um, we did. <laughs> which, like, I really this felt like a really great um, encapsulation of a big part of like Kirby's work because you even got a little bit of like war stuff in it too. Orion um, shows up for a second. Yeah, Orion and and Light Ray and Light Ray. Yeah, um, there. Yeah, it it really like kind of like subtly weaves together a lot of Kirby things. Um, yeah, I really I really enjoyed and appreciated this issue a lot. Yeah. Uh, just just well, uh, a, oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, I was gonna just say I I do have like a very soft spot for Shiloh Norman because of. Grant Morrison. So yeah, there's that. Yeah, uh, I, I just wanted to give a little program. I know for anybody who's listening carefully, my dog is snoring like five feet from me. So if you hear a snoring noise, <laughs> my dog is uh, snoring tonight. So uh, it usually doesn't happen on the show. Uh, no, I, I thought this was a lot of fun. Yeah, normally I'm the one snoring when you talk. Ohio. Uh, yeah, and anytime you get uh, Cowan and Sinkevich doing uh, work together, it's it's worth taking note of. Yeah, definitely. Uh, this might be the most uh, my most visually enjoyed uh, one shot so far. Yeah, it yeah, looked really I think, good. I think the art's been pretty good on a lot of these, but yeah, 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 yeah. Those Cowan pages are really, really good. Not to knock Ryan Benjamin, but. You don't see a lot of Dennis Cowan art these days. Exactly. Yeah. It feels like a treat when you do get it. Yeah. Um, 
All right, that brings us to the Dark Side special. And I'm going to let Vince talk about this one because, <laughs> uh, you know, because he is. This was written by uh, Mark Evanier. Evanier? How do we pronounce that? Do we know? Evanier. I think Evanier is right. Uh, who was Kirby's basically assistant at DC, which is cool. And uh, illustrated by Scott Collins. And uh, Vince, I'm going to let you take this one away. I just, I don't know. I just liked this a lot. I liked that it, I, I felt like it really had the spirit of Kirby in it, kind of opening up with this big, uh, I love the, the opening splash page with Tyrant uh, spray painted on the on the dark side statue. And this idea that there's this underground resistance going on, you know, that, that seems like a, a really Kirby idea for the modern world, you know? Like, something about this felt very timely to me. And um, I wonder, oh, I wonder why that is, you know? Yeah. But, like, but, but like I, I felt like, I felt like if it didn't so much resemble a Kirby comic, there was definitely some sort of spirit there. Because his stuff always went a little bit deeper than the surface, you know? And, um... And I just feel like the timeliness of this really worked for me, and the Scott Collins art, I I, I like, I like Collins a lot, and um, I'm glad I get to read it in something that's not uh, riddled with horrible dialogue. Um, but but you read this book. <laughs> I hated this was, issue. I hated this issue. Are you serious? Oh Why? God, did I hate this issue? I, I think I'm in the middle here. Uh, it's not. First of all, I, I feel like this is a uh, this is barely a dark side story. There was very little dark side in it. There, instead, there are these characters that's that are. That's what you want. Though. That's that is what no, you no, want. No. Though it's not what it, I wouldn't see. Okay, I I don't want a dark side ongoing because I don't want like a Thanos book, right? I, I don't want. I think that's very boring. But I think yes. a one shot is the perfect opportunity to really get into a character like this and allow it to be something different and something unexpected. And this was just, I, I appreciate the idea of this. I, I found these characters obnoxious. I found their, oh, uh, their plot like as, as uh, predictable as possible. I liked the twist at the end with the recording you know, I I I like thought that was the one interesting idea in the whole book. Uh, I just I really did not care for this at all. And uh, I'm in the middle. I I thought the art was really good. I thought the premise was interesting, but yeah, I thought the dialogue was not very good. Uh, it was fine. The dialogue was fine. Like I I don't know. Like 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 um. Dark side to me is well. Dark side like, is that's dark right. Side, dark side is <laughs> well played. I don't know. He like he is exactly this like boastful. Like I just I like the scene where he was sitting there saying, you know, if you're expecting me to to cower and grovel as I'm sure Jadon did, and Dark side says he did, then I'm afraid I'll disappoint you. And then you know I have a theory about you, and I have a few seconds. Go ahead. Like I don't like it. Just it just like him is this like really aloof sort of uh this kind of aloof a-hole like, i don't know i just something about it really worked for me i didn't think the dialogue was bad i i don't know 
I mean, that's fine. I'm not judging you because you liked it. <laughs> and I don't think Brian is either. Maybe he is. He is. But... He, he is. <laughs> got off the call because he was so disgusted by my... <laughs> uh, yeah, I just think that, like, it didn't... I don't know. There's something about it. I thought because Evanier was writing it, it would feel like possibly the most Kirby of all of these books, but it didn't feel that Kirby to me. It it didn't. You're right. It didn't feel Kirby, but it had. It didn't. It didn't feel like he was going for Kirby, but I felt like the spirit of the reason why Kirby told the stories that he told with the new gods, uh-huh. this fourth world stuff. I felt like that spirit was in, in there, you know, like yeah, the spirit of like the spirit of like grand morality running beneath the surface, you know, mm-hmm. which I guess that's not, that's not exclusive to Kirby, but I feel like that's something that Kirby always tried to do, you know? Yeah. But you're right. You're I agree then that 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 has a result it didn't feel exclusively Kirby. Um, Although I will say that I I felt like Scott Collins' art was surprisingly Kirby. Yeah, he he is like somewhere on the path to Kirby just in kind of the way that he poses his characters and how they're kind of That granny goodness kind of, panel. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Exactly. Yes. Yep. Yep. Definitely. Yep. And he can kind of draw in that like blocky style. I'm thinking about like when the when the parademons are flying in, like their pose and like their blockiness and how they're kind of. Whenever I think of Kirby, I think about how sometimes his action posing or his characters like actions are more uh, horizontal than they are vertical. You know, mm-hmm. his his characters stretch horizontally a lot. To, to denote action, you know? And I thought, like, how he drew the parademons was perfect to, you know, perfect along those lines. Yeah, I don't know. I re- This really worked for me for some reason. But maybe I was just in a good mood this week because I really liked the Black Racer and Shiloh Norman book, too. So, like, I thought this was a great way to end the Kirby Tribute Month. I guess, I guess to me, like I said, I just wanted more dark side. Yeah. You know, he he's on less than a third of the pages in the story. That's fair. I guess. Um. And then we got the uh, the Omac, uh, sort of short story at the end of this uh, issue as well, which um. I also thought was garbage. Yeah, that was really not... I don't know. It wasn't very satisfying. Really? I liked that. <laughs> really? Yeah. I I liked it a lot. I thought it... Well, I mean, it was, like, beautiful. Like, it was gorgeously drawn, and it felt super Kirby to me. I mean, it was only six pages, so you can only do so much, but I thought it was, like, fun for what it was i just really like omac though yeah can i tell you something it's um this is just like a personal preference thing now but 
it's tough for me when like when I hear OMAC, I for some reason picture like the Kevin Co monster mm-hmm. OMAC. No, I do I do too. It's, it's hard to go back to the original, it really is. It is, and I think like, oh god, I wish I were reading the new one. And that's so weird to say about a Kirby creation because you normally want those to be like the classic versions. But for this particular character, I'm like, I kind of kind of like the the monster OMAC better. See, yeah. I, I thought Hester did a really nice job here, but I think this dialogue is so bad. Almost every line in this book made me cringe, but none <laughs> as bad as... So at the end of the book, there's the explosion, and OMAC swims like over across the island, whatever, and he's, he's, of course, talking to himself in full sentences out loud, and then this woman says, are you okay, mister? I heard that explosion. Were you caught in it? He doesn't answer her, and then she goes, no one should be alone. My name is Lila. I will be your friend. Like, what the fuck is that? <laughs> what conversation begins that way? <laughs> I would, I'd need to check. I feel like that has to be like a reference to something. I believe... Well, it is, because he says, I feel like I know you somehow. Yeah, yeah. I, I feel like she is a reference to something, but there's, just, there's, there's never been a clunkier introduction of a friendship in the history of the world. <laughs> wow. Well, how did we meet? Uh, you and I, we met on the streets of New York after you asked if you could fuck a robot. Yeah, so you don't think that's more awkward than this? No. <laughs> I love that you remember that, by the way. It made me laugh very, very hard, so. <laughs> to fill in the DC3Cast listeners, Vince was staying at a hotel in New York City called Yotel, and there is a robot in the lobby that takes your luggage. Like, you put it on this thing, and the robot puts it in, like, a uh, a storage area for you. And I remember Vince was like on his way to the hotel from the airport or whatever, and I said, uh, get, something like, give my regards to the robot. And he texted me back, can, ellipses, can I fuck it? And <laughs> it just really made me laugh. I'll never forget that. So I instantly liked Vince. Uh, well, I'm glad I won you over with my roguish... Uh, inappropriate humor. Yeah, and then you got food poisoning. <laughs> I did. I did. That's right. Because of a because of a vegan burrito you bought me. I did not buy that. Mike bought that vegan burrito. I bought the pizza for everybody. Oh, okay. I should have had the pizza. I guess. Yeah. Thanks a lot, Romeo. Yeah. This kindness of buying people food. Yeah. It was. It was delicious, but it. It wasn't coming back up, that's for sure. Yeah. Um, all right, that brings us to Justice League of America, number 13, the second part of the uh, Crisis in the Multiverse storyline, written by Steve Orlando, illustrated by Ivan Reyes. Um, this is the good shit, guys. <laughs> you know what? Oh, no. <laughs> I really want to like this. We're having a banner night, aren't we? Yeah, it's I, maybe because we only had a cert, like a small number of books to read that all of our takes are stronger. Maybe I I really want to like this. Um, the I love the team. I love the concept. I think Reyes is doing some of his best work ever. But like, man, sometimes just like the 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 dialogue and like some of the stuff that happens, I'm just like cringing a little bit just a little bit really yeah like i mean like 
and I, I almost kind of feel like Orlando is like doing a shtick here. Like, so like on the opening page, you know, like, well, like, okay, on the last issue, we had that big, like protracted, like thing about like, I detect his belt. He's not here. Who has the belt? What's the belt? Right there. You have his belt. Oh, are you Ray Palmer? And then the issue ends. And then like, we begin again. Are you Ray Palmer? No, I'm not. Well, how do you have his belt? Right. And this like, you know, this like long drawn out thing. And and just, I don't know. It feels really dated sometimes. Okay. So I kind of agree with you. And I think we, we've, but I like it a lot. And we've talked about, we talked about this with um, uh, Mike, with Mike Romeo when he was on the show, right? Because yeah, he, we did. We were kind of lukewarm on the current issue, which was from the last arc, I think. Yeah, it was. And and he was like, "Well, come on, like, look at this, look at Batman, you know, hearing about, uh, you know, somebody infecting people's dreams or something, and him saying we need to go there, you know, and like, <laughs> like he's just gung ho about this ridiculous thing. He doesn't ask any questions. He's just got to go, and." Uh, and then I started to appreciate it a little more. And I feel like, um, I think what you're saying, Zach, is really true. But I feel like it is maybe not a shtick on Orlando's part, but like... Like an intentional thing. Yes, yes. because yeah. because um, I think part of it has to do with him wanting to give everybody their due. Like, I, I've every time we talk about this book, I praise him for how he makes sure that every character gets a little moment in, in almost every issue. Mm -hmm. And I feel like in doing that, it seems like there's a lot of dialogue and like a lot of it is very like, I'm, I'm the Ray. So I'm going to act like very much like the Ray right now, you know? <laughs> yeah. And, and, and he does that for every character, you know? Yeah. Right. And I, I guess what I'm saying is, like if if he didn't get all the characters so well, I would have a problem with that. But I would rather take a book where every issue he squeezes in a moment for every character, even if it has to go in edgewise, than the the book team books that have happened in the past where you've got you know six or seven members of this team and two of them end up dominating, and everybody else sits by the wayside. You know, so so I think we are making a we're taking a compromise here but it's one i'll gladly take because i want uh characters like ryan Choi and ray to get their moments you know i think i think ryan is really annoying and i think oh. batman only ever says dumb things like there's a part in this issue where two characters have conflicting stories and lobo says what you buying this bats and batman says someone is lying like <laughs> obviously you That's... have two conflicting stories that's Someone very, has to be lying. That's very Adam West, Batman. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> um, see, I feel like this is so unbelievably my shit. For like <laughs> yeah. the team is amazing. the The fact that they're in the microverse is amazing. The fact that there is like, you know, uh, that Lobo gets his arm blown off by like. <laughs> Essentially, a ray of Doctor Manhattan energy, like that's, you know, that, that that's fucking crazy. It's bonkers. It's great. It's uh, that was such a great panel, by the way. Yeah, 
and I, and I am not a big Reyes fan in in modern in modern times. And I think he's doing great work here. Um, yeah, you know I'm I am fully on board with this. Um, I did want to to bring up a question for you guys though. I saw the bleeding cool the um, the the avatar of good journalism has decided that the um, the reason the microverse is breaking apart is because of Doctor Manhattan. Do you guys agree with that sentiment? What's their argument? Essentially, just if you look at that one page where there's uh, a disturbance in the very fabric of reality is killing the microverse. The laws of physics are broken. And, like, the fact that the light there is vaguely blue. Okay. Mm. I mean, it's poss- it, it, it It's as likely as anything else, I guess. Yeah, I feel it's like po- it, it's possible. It's- it's possible, but it's also like that uh, action comics thing where you saw the blue energy and everyone was like, oh, that's Dr. Manhattan. And it turned out to just be essentially electric blue Superman. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like a, like a blue. I'm I'm at the point where a blue light can mean anything. Yeah. Could just mean you blew yourself. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I had a I had a different joke lined up. Zach's is better. Let's go with that. One. <laughs> yeah, let's um, move on. That was great. Yeah, but I what I will say is this: uh, I I, just, I want to circle back to something Zach said. I definitely don't think this is. I don't think this is a book that is for everyone in the sense of, I don't think I I think like we were saying there are very specific choices that Orlando is making here, and I understand why somebody wouldn't necessarily be on board with those changes, uh, or, or those those positions or however you want to say it, um. But I'm glad that DC is letting a book do this stuff, even if I'm not oh, yeah. loving it, which, which I which I am. But even if you're not loving it, I just feel like the idea of letting of letting a book do this is such would be such a foreign concept a year and a half or two years ago. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, I I want to like stress that when I say I want to like it, it's for those reasons conceptually i think it's great i do like i love most everything that's happening it's just sometimes the presentation like i just i just can't get behind it all the time as much as i'd like like there are things that happen that just kind of like throw me throw me out of the loop i guess that's yeah okay well that uh brings us along to Red Hood and the Outlaws annual, numero uno, um, written by Scott Lobdell, illustrated by Tyler Kirkham. So I, I had a uh, I had a bizarro revelation today. Which is Does that... Does that mean you didn't have a revelation? <laughs> no, uh, me am had revelation today. Um, they really need to stop just drawing him as Grey Hulk. <laughs> yeah. Like, he... That first time you see him when he's like chained up in the circus, he is just the Grey Hulk. Yeah. Um, so they need to give him. They they need to to bag the Richard Spencer haircut on him, and they need to stop drawing him as the Grey Hulk. <laughs> oh no, that like that articulate Hulk or uh, Hulk that articulate Brazaro that we just. It no, is it is just, Grey Hulk. Yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be a white nationalist, isn't it? 
no. He, he's going to be like, um, he's going to be like, oh, ad hominem attack. I guess you can't uh, <laughs> refute my refute my point with uh, logic. Well, that's totally they, what's. Gonna they happen. would have to find a way to ruin this book after it's been really good. <laughs> it's been good, yeah. Uh, Was this annual good? I liked it way better than I expected to. That needs to be like the tagline on the on the series. <laughs> way better than expected, Multiversity Comics. I mean, when I saw like, okay, I've been liking this series, but am I going to like it for 40 pages with with Kirkamar that I'm not always super big on? Uh but I did like it a lot. Relative, okay, relatively a lot. Yeah, I liked it. I thought uh, I thought the stuff between Dick and Jason was was pretty novel, and mm-hmm. um, not something we see very often. Um, and frankly, I wish that I wish that the writers would or DC would allow a little more, uh, you know, the Bat Kids to interact because I really like when they do. And uh, I was like. <laughs> When they when they had the thing with uh, Bizarro and the bearded lady, I was like, "Oh yes. no, this is this is where Scott Lobdell is going to become problematic." <laughs> and uh, but I thought that was handled pretty well. I mean, it was handled as well as that poorly conceived scene could have been handled. Yeah, yep, I I think that's true. And and there is something to be said that 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 the bearded lady is very much a part of circus tradition you yes. know and i felt like i felt like the way they handled it was pretty matter of fact about that and 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 positive you know there wasn't mm-hmm. a you know so there was the potential to get icky there as far as like being insensitive or whatever and i don't think i mean i i have i so you know from from my cis point of view, I don't think that was bad, but you know, right? Exactly. Um, I will say that Kirkham draws Artemis as a Barbie doll, like feature, like facial features. She's very much. I feel like she's lost. All, I, that Dexter Soy has been drawing the majority of this book, and I feel like his take on the character has a very specific look. Whereas I feel like Kirkham just draws her very generically good looking that's absolutely a kirkham thing too oh, yeah. like his 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 facial features uh are routinely like um what do i want to say uh repetitive and without kind of detail you know yeah. everyone's very smooth yeah you know? i also think that um if you were to uh like mix up the panels of this book and present them out of order, you would never know if it was Dick or Jason in any panel. If what? If it Sorry, was Dick or up. Jason in any panel. Oh yeah, yes, exactly. Yep. They it's, their it's costumes Bruce did makes them dye his hair black. Yeah. They really should make that not be a thing anymore. Yeah. I don't. I I don't. Is it a thing anymore? I feel I like know. that. I feel like that was just a Morrison thing that everyone then ignored. He's Red Hood. Make him a ginger. <laughs> oh, so you're saying he should have red hair. Not yes, that... absolutely. 
Okay, okay. I thought you meant like his hair should just be naturally black. No, no, it should be red. Okay. Yeah. I could get behind that. So even in the flashback scene, that he didn't have red hair. Oh, because he was dying it. No, this is before he was Robin. Okay. All right. You <laughs> I, I can't imagine. I didn't know which flashback. I forgot that it went that far back. Yeah. So he's, yeah. he's probably slightly older than my daughter is in real life. Can I imagine my seven-year-old daughter like, hey, Dad, I want to want to dye my hair. <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> I don't know what to think little kids do, but we'll see. Um. By the way, guys, we watched The Force Awakens today, and it was awesome. Nice. Yeah. I'm very excited for for Dark BB. Have yes. you seen anything about Dark BB? BB90? Yeah. Yeah. Did you He's, hear what he was uh, called during filming? Um, No. Was it BBH8 or BB8? Oh, the hell orb. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, But yeah, th- th- this was a fun issue. Um... Yeah. I also kind of love Jason, like, uh, trying to get uh, Bizarro laid. Yeah. Which, by the way, is the most Lobdell thing ever. Oh, absolutely, yes. Like, like the original Red Hood and the Outlaws book was just uh, the horny friends. What if the super friends were horny? Basically. Am I wrong? No, no. That is a that is an absolutely fair characterization of that book. <laughs> we need that book. Whenever Vertigo relaunches, we need that book. <laughs> yeah. I'm surprised it's not a young animal book already. Written written and drawn by Howard Chaykin. Oh God. It'll. Uh, if, oh no. If, if uh, <laughs> that's that's the worst thing I can think of, but um, <laughs> I feel like there is absolutely. I'm not going to Google this to find out. There's absolutely like a shitty. Uh, webcomic called like super friends with benefits where it's just <laughs> super friends fucking why why you gotta blow up my uh my blog like that <laughs> all right that brings us to the supergirl annual um written by steve orlando illustrated by steve pugue and uh to me this is the not great orlando book of the week I have I have one big bone to pick with this issue more like conceptually than any of the content. Okay. It really kind of like I find it irksome that this is like part two of a of a arc and it's in an annual. That like, happens more than it should. It, well, like I, so I can get behind like when annuals are like either the beginning of an arc or like the the like oversized finale to an arc. I feel like that happens a lot, but and sometimes there are like annuals that are tangential to an arc where like you don't have to read it, but it helps fill things in. But this is like someone has to like know to pick up this issue, or they're gonna miss out on two issues worth of content of a story arc. Mm-hmm. which just seems weird to me. And also, like, it made me... I, I was thinking about that, and it made me think, like... It made me wonder how DC decides when a book gets an annual. Yeah. Well, like, like did Orlando petition, like, hey, I, I could use the extra space for an annual. Can I do an annual? And then DC's like, okay, well, we can give you one this month. And then 
he decides to use that for this arc or is it like dc says hey you have to do an annual and i don't know i just like wondered what the how that works well and it's interesting because we've 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 had several annuals in the rebirth era so far and we've had annuals that were entirely self-contained and fairly disposable stories We've had annuals that were a collection of, like, four or five little stories. I think Batman or Detective was that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Batman was. And now we've had this, which is not self-contained and not multiple stories. And so we've had basically, like, the three versions of annual that you can ever get. Mm -hmm. And so it would really be nice if we knew, like, how DC decided what was what. Well, I'm pretty sure that the only books that get annuals are the books that they feel can sell an annual. So I, I think if you looked at the sales chart, you could draw a line at a certain amount of books sold, and sure. that would be what gets an annual. But the when is an interesting question. Well, and and yeah, the, and the and the what like how do we decide what the annual is? You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean it's interesting, like. Because sometimes books get annuals that I wouldn't expect, and then sometimes... Even like Red Hood. Yeah, like, I wouldn't expect it to get an annual. And I, I remember, like, this was a thing I... In the New 52 era, um, Justice League never got an annual, and that was the second highest-selling book after Batman. I wonder if that's a John's thing. I'm sure, I'm sure it was, but... It makes me... Uh, yeah, it's just... Wait, they, it really never got an annual. Never got an annual. There was that JLI one that he co that he co wrote. The one that put but, Blue Beetle in space and uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it never got an annual. No. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. So uh, the annuals at DC are just interesting because I don't. Marvel does annuals, but they do them differently they're usually like um not the same creative team they usually a lot of times will like cross over with other books annuals to tell like one story mm-hmm. um like guerrilla warfare did at dc back in the day yeah something like that yeah. probably um and i think that's like typically how they still do annuals either that or it's just like a total one-off thing but um like Vince kind of said, there are there are like basically three different kinds of annuals at DC, and you never know what kind you're going to get, because um, they're also like a box of chocolates. <laughs> oh, I I personally did not really care for this. I, I I didn't love the first issue of this arc, but I was encouraged by certain things in it, and then I found that this issue, this annual, sort of doubled down on all the stuff I didn't like about the first issue of the arc. I don't know. I, a, I must be in a really great mood because I I really liked this. I liked how it was like the culmination of all the stuff that's going on in Supergirl kind of in one issue. And like I like bringing uh, Tomorrow Woman back into it and uh, or into it for the first time, I should say, right? Yeah. Um, but like back to DC. She she hasn't been around in a while, I feel, right? But this is also like a weird amalgamation cuz it's like Tomorrow Woman plus Indigo. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, and I like the, the the Emerald Empress stuff finally explained what was going on with Saturn Girl. And well, do, do you think that like smacks of like reshuffling the deck behind oh, yeah. the scenes? Oh yeah. Yes. <laughs> Yes, see, for sure. See, it's funny, Vince. The exact reasons that you're saying you like this, the reasons that I didn't like this. Really? I felt like this, instead of giving e- enough time to all those things, it smushed it all into one issue and didn't didn't have a satisfying anything because of that. Mm. Well, I thought like the stuff between Cat Grant and uh, Selena was... Like, I liked their banner their banter back and forth and uh i don't know like i've i like i settled in for the for the long haul with this oversized issue and i really i really dug it the whole way through i don't know zach what'd you think um there were things that i liked about it i thought that It was really long, and that's like a bad. I feel like that's a bad critique, but it definitely like hindered my enjoyment of it. I agree with you one hundred percent. This felt like it was eighty pages. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, and and I again, I think I like kind of fall between the two of you because I I did like um, that they kind of doubled back that or that. Um, Orlando doubled back on a few things from earlier in the series, like the Kryptonian werewolf and um, a few other things. And, you know, as, as much as the like Legion stuff kind of irks me, I do uh, actually, no, I don't know how I fall on that. Cause I am still like really annoyed that it's been, you know, we're in like the second year of rebirth and we still, <laughs> I like, I hate how much we've been teased about the Legion stuff. Um, They're clearly not ready for whatever. Yeah, yeah. This this just feels like baiting. They haven't signed Hickman just yet. (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) Um, So, again, yeah, there were things I liked about this, but it it also felt just like really decompressed, really wordy at times, really too long. So. Do, you think, do you think DC spent their whole budget to sign Hickman on the avocado toast that they were yeah, probably. enjoying? Probably. So, so now we'll never get Hickman? Well, you know, but you, you know, we're going to have to get Hickman. You're aware of how expensive avocado toast is. If someone, that, if, if someone drops saying, the, they blew it. No, I, I, I think he looks at that as like, as like you know, an engagement ring, essentially. Yeah. You know, they're actually it, only paying him an avocado toast. Well, they're going to be bankrupt <laughs> in six months. We know. We know how how millennials can't buy houses because of avocado toast. So you know. exactly. Yeah, but you know, like like you say that, but time it's going to come to where they got to open up their wallet, and Dan DiDio is going to open it up in a like a comical oh, moth. Gonna come out. <laughs> a moth, a moth is going to fly out. out. <laughs> yeah. What the fuck? <laughs> There are no moths in Burbank. Yeah. <laughs> it's not temperate. Blood dry here. Um, my my Dadio really is a Bernie Sanders. It really is a Bernie Sanders. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't realize Dadio was such an advocate for Medicare for all, but there we go. Yeah. Um, There's no reason why the top 10% of the top 1% 
should only get to write the Watchmen characters. <laughs> I don't know. Whatever. Yeah. Get the copays out of there, Bernie. Anyway. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, you know, I... I feel like, you know, we've talked about this before, and I feel like Supergirl to me is the perfect avatar of this problem I'm having with Rebirth, which is that certain books, because they're coming out twice a month, I feel like I am totally... Whenever I open up an issue of Detective, I, I'm right there. I know exactly what's going on. I'm I'm feeling... Um, I'm excited to see what happens next. Every time I open up an issue of Supergirl, I feel like... I'm spending half the issue remembering what happened last time. And part of that is just because we read too many comics. Like, that's part of our job is to read too many DC comics. Um, but I, I just feel like there's nothing that's happening that I'm so invested in that I'm thinking about it when I'm not reading it. So when I'm reading it, I'm having all the possible emotions I could have about the book. Sure. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um. But yeah, it's not bad. It's just I felt this issue was was overlong, and somehow both gave too much time and too little time to every aspect of it. Poorly paced, we'll say. Um, all right, that brings us to our final issue of the week, which is Wonder Woman number twenty nine, which is written by Shay Fontana and illustrated by um, was it uh Miranda back on this issue? Yeah, yeah, Naki Miranda. Yeah, yeah. Naki Miranda. Yeah. Um, I, uh, I feel this is probably Shea Fontana's best issue so far. I don't know if you guys they, agree with me about that. They've gotten considerably better with each issue. Mm-hmm. I think the idea of Wonder Woman allowing herself to essentially be used to cure disease is the most Wonder Woman thing we've seen in a comic in a long time. That is so perfectly in line with who her character is supposed to be. Yeah. Yeah, and it's like surprisingly an idea that is not um, seen very much. Like with some, I feel like in DC that would be like a go-to storyline, just because you have so many like godlike people. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, I like it. I feel like it's a good plot thread for a short little arc. Yeah. Steve Trevor looked like a real herb, though. Didn't, I thought he looked like uh, Chris Pine. Chris Pine. There's that one panel towards the end where he looks a lot like Chris Pine, but yeah. like, look at him on the motorcycle in the very beginning of the issue. He looks like such a dork. <laughs> I'm coming, Diana. <laughs> um, big shout out to uh, Futures in Plastique. Oh yep. yeah, yep. I like that. Takes I really, you back, right? It does. <laughs> I really like that design for the character, though. Like, I think you remember I that time that, that her and uh, <laughs> Tim Drake did it on the roof, and, and Bruce watched. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I, I don't actually, remember that. I actually didn't. I'm pretty sure that's how it happened right <laughs> you're absolutely right if you're not right i want you to be right so yeah. <laughs> bruce likes to watch yeah. i feel like because of 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 what's established of how much like uh 
how much surveillance Bruce has over Gotham that like any time, day or night, if he wants to, he can pull up some people doing it. That's right. There's just a little something for bad daddy. Yeah. <laughs> he he has a term for it that Alfred's aware of what it means. Like you know, I'm I'm going on patrol. And he's like, all right, I won't come in for an hour. Then Master Bruce or whatever, you know. Uh, once again, sir. <laughs> you know, Cranking. just because you're a bat doesn't mean you have to be blind, Bruce. Cranking your hog again, sir. <laughs> Oh boy! Yeah, Wonder Wonder Woman's good. (laughs) We're gonna take a break. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Paul, the host of the Comic Syllabus Podcast, a weekly show on the Multiversity Network of Podcasts. We read widely and we dig deep bringing different analytical approaches to our study and appreciation of the wide variety of comics out there. Along with comics teachers, critics, and creators, we do close readings of classic and current exemplars of the medium. And we invite you to join us every Tuesday here at MultiversityComics.com. So let's dig deep. And uh, we are back with the second half of the show. So last week on Twitter, uh, you know, occasionally on Twitter people will play these games where they'll say, you know, They'll ask, you know, ask me my top five, uh, you know, films or whatever it was. And last week, somebody asked about the top five DC runs, your favorite five DC runs. And, you know, we are, we are always game to do, to play, to play a game. Uh, And, you know, I, I think this is actually a really instructive thing to sort of our personalities and what, what types of things we like. And so we thought it'd be fun to, uh to bring this up on the show and to talk about our top five DC runs. And we had a couple arbitrary rules that Vince is mad at me about. Um, but yeah, you asshole. I am an asshole. Piece of shit. Yep. The, uh, but the rules were that uh, a, a run had to be 20 or more issues, that uh, a miniseries could not count as a run, and that um, it didn't necessarily have to be from one title, but as long as it was part of an overarching story, that was fine. Um, and yeah, that was sort of where we began from, but uh, this was inspired by a particular tweet from our friend and former guest of the show, uh, Alice W. Castle. And so, uh, Vince, do you have Alice's top five there? I, I do have it. Okay, yep, so. so Alice, uh, this is thank you for inspiring this, and these are Alice's top five DC runs. All right, so uh, um, Gerard Jones. Let's just, I'm going to go from five to one. Okay, okay. Gerard Jones, Green Lantern, one through forty-seven. Uh, and she did issue numbers, so that's nice. But I, I don't have those for my list. But um, at number four, Greg Rucka, Wonder Woman, the original run, 195 to 226. Uh, Rachel Pollock's Doom Patrol, 64 to 87. Grant Morrison's JLA, 1 through 41. And Kurt Busiek's Superman, 650 to 675. A fine list indeed. Yes, uh, all really good choices. Uh, none of those make my list, but they're all good choices. It's better than my list. It's probably better than my list too, but it's definitely better than my list. <laughs> I've, I've never read that Doom Patrol run. I I need to, I need to check that out. I went on a, a big Doom Patrol kick. I guess when that when the last when the when the last pre Flashpoint Doom Patrol series happened, 
which who wrote that? Was oh that yeah, Giffen? that was the that was the Giffen run, yeah. which I love that run. Yeah, it's I, not on my list, but I enjoyed that run too. And I, I went back and I read a bunch of other Doom Patrol stuff after that. Um. So yeah. All right. Um. Who wants to go first? With your number, we'll, we'll go. We'll all do our fives. We'll all do our fours, etc. Um. We should do the same rules we did for the last time we did the top, um, rebirth books. Where if you have a run higher on your list. Just say we're going to talk about that later, and we'll talk about it at its top spot. Okay. Okay. I, I think I don't. I don't think we're going to run into that. I think there might be one or two. Maybe one. I I think Zach and I are going to have the same one thing. I don't know, but we'll see. Okay. Um. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think you will. Yeah. So maybe even two. I don't know. Uh. So Vince, since, since you're the the chatty boy, why don't you go first? What's your number five? <laughs> All right. Uh. My number five is. Gail Simone's Birds of Prey. Um, and, uh, the, you know, she did like a th- third volume or something of that. Did she, did it, did it come back for like the New 52 or was that shortly it, before the New 52? It came back in Brightest Day. Yeah. That's, that's what it was. And that, that run wasn't great, but uh, that original Birds of Prey run of hers is just something else. Um, I like that a lot. That was back when uh, Ed Bennis was good, too. Yeah. <laughs> I remember at uh, my first ever New York Comic Con, it was uh, I, there was a like a podcast like row of of uh, of tables and things, and the, and the guys from this podcast, I'm not going to name it, is that I don't mean to shit talk their podcast, but there was uh, oh, I I know what you're going to say. <laughs> I I don't know if you will necessarily, but uh, there was there was a DC centric podcast there and. So I got talking to these guys, and uh, they had asked me if I had read that whole run, and I had said that I hadn't read the whole thing, and I was the reason I hadn't was because I had moved in the middle of it, and so I was like without a shop for a few months, and so I, there were a bunch of things that kind of got stopped in my reading because I, I either never went back to them or I had big gaps in my collection, whatever it was. And the two guys spent like 15 minutes telling me how dumb I was for not finishing that run and never let me finish why I never finished it. Nice. So, yeah. Comic fans, right? Yeah, exactly. The most tolerant, wonderful people on earth. Um, Zach, what's your number five? My number five is the Azarella Chang Wonder Woman run. Mm-hmm. Ooh, interesting. Okay. I probably uh, just missed my list. Yeah, that would have been... In my top ten, for sure. It was good. It was good. It was quite good. It was good. Oh, that Chang art. All those designs. Oh, yeah. Yeah, like I loved all of the the um, like the designs for the Greek gods mm-hmm. were really like fun and interesting and not, you know, your like typical. Like I think we talked about this when the Wonder Woman movie came out and Ares was like the same old boring armor. Aries, and yeah. I was like, man, I wish he had, they had just cast Brian uh, Azarello. Yeah, <laughs> um, so, yeah. And then, like, I just remember, like, how excited I was because, you know, those were the, that was the dark days of the New 52. And so when you got to the end of that, like, first year, like, the end of the first season, and, and, and Orion showed shows up. up yeah. Oh, that was just, like, that was the best. What's interesting yeah. about that run is that I I might even make this point myself, even though I loved that run, 
that it's not a particularly Wonder Woman-y run. Oh, no, it's not, yeah. You know, um, but it doesn't it doesn't change how enjoyable those comics are. I sometimes wonder how much better that run would have been if it wasn't at all part of the New 52, where they, they could have... You know, th- that book very much existed like on an island in the New 52, and that's a good thing, but they also had to throw out all the pre-New 52 stuff. So I wonder how much better that run would have been if they could have acknowledged some stuff from pre-Flashpoint. Man, I don't know. Yeah. It's weird to think about. Yeah. Uh, well, my number five is, I, I would guess, is going to be the longest run that is uh, talked about here, even though the run uh, jumps around in quality quite a bit. Uh, Marv Wolfman wrote over 200 issues of Teen Titans, Mm. um, starting in 1980 and ending in, I believe, 1986, no, sorry, 96, rather. Um, He was almost consistently on Teen Titans the entire time. But I am specifically talking about the uh, the Wolfman-Perez run. If I had to really narrow it down, I do love a lot of the stuff after Perez, but the Wolfman-Perez run is, I mean, anybody who listens to this show enough has heard me talk about how how much i i respect that run and uh i think that that run is it's one of those books that is definitely dated if you read it now but you get past that stuff really quickly and you realize how ahead of its time it was for a lot of reasons and i think that the friendships in the new teen titans uh really really work and you know for just for anybody who hasn't read the uh the judas contract if you read that and you like that, the I'm not gonna say the entire run is that good because that that story is really special, but you get the you get the impression that you get a, a good taste of what the run feels like overall. Um, and like I said, that that goes well. Wolfman's run goes well beyond Perez's departure, and you know eventually, supposedly became incredibly editorially driven, where editors would just tell him like you know. This character has to return. This this romance has to happen. Whatever, and so you know he is not very proud of some of those those like mid nineties uh, books. So I understand if we want to limit it to just the, uh, the Wolfman Perez stuff, but I have a soft spot for a lot of that nineties stuff too. Yeah, I I looked into what it would take to collect all that stuff in trade because uh-huh. I saw that they were releasing like the. Seventh or eighth or ninth volume or something is coming, mm-hmm. and like wow, I I didn't I already didn't realize that that Wolfen was on the book for that long. Yeah, because you never really hear about the later parts of the. Right, right. Uh, for probably for good reason for a lot of it. Yeah. Um, but we were talking on on Twitter a couple weeks ago, Vince, you, me, and Ken Goberson about um sort of like Teen Titans runs that. Like Ken is a huge Young Justice fan, you know, um, and I was saying how the uh, the period of Teen Titans that I got into it at first was that like early '90s period with Kyle Rayner and Donna Troy and Damage and uh, uh, Arsenal on the team, and you know I don't think that stuff's all that great, but I, I have a real soft spot for that stuff too, and that's still Wolfman. Um, mm. So yeah, um, Vince, what is your number four? My number four is um, br- the Brubaker Catwoman stuff. Ooh, yeah. nice choice. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, that really like redefined Catwoman, and um, and the art is so good. I think like Cameron Stewart was on that, and uh, Darwin Cook did at least the covers, right? Like, yeah. I think he did. A... I think he did some issues. Yeah, I thought so too. Yeah. Let me. I'm gonna look it up. I'm gonna be. I'm gonna break a podcast rule, and I'm gonna look that up right now. Let's see. Yeah, he yeah, did he at did. least the first arc. Yep. Yep. That's crazy. Yeah. And it's so fantastic. Um, just the visual language, like the visual language of Darwin Cook. You know, like if you think about um, the New Frontier, it's almost like that was being allowed to spill over into the DCU a little bit yeah. with, with his visual take on Catwoman. It was like this entirely new and yet immediately iconic. It, it's almost, it was almost like, actually it reminds me of the Batgirl of Burnside effect. Like that take on Batgirl was immediately iconic and it's probably going to define how we look at, at Batgirl for, you know, the next decade. Yeah. And that's kind of Catwoman still has a costume that harkens back to this one. Um, pretty much any time we see her. So it's a fantastic run. That's a nice choice. Thank you. Zach, what's your number four? All right. I, this is the one where I, I broke your rules. I didn't, I, I cheated, but, um, my fourth one is the uh, Superboy run by Jeff Lemire and Marco Rudy and Pierre uh, Pier Giallo. Yeah, yeah, I think that's right. How many issues did that get? It got 11. It feels like it was longer than that. Yeah, it was actually co- collected all in one trade. Um, wow. Yeah, yeah, Pierre, you- yeah, Pierre Gallo, yeah. That's what it was, yeah. Did you ever, um, did you, did, there was like some Twin Peaks stuff that started happening in that run. <laughs> yes. Uh, it, it was like very supernatural. Um, Phantom Stranger showed up a lot, and it kind of, it dealt with like the seedier underside of Smallville, which then like later Greg Pak and Aaron Cooter kind of touched on that in their Action Comics run in the New 52. They did an arc that was like that too. Um, but these guys did it first and just kind of like the, the art style of this book felt so unique at the time. Um, you know, this was like when Jeff Lemire was still kind of up and coming and at times it had like hints of, um, um, Essex County trilogy Mm -hmm. in it. Um, and I don't, it, it, it did so well considering it only lasted 11 issues and it had like the, the doomsday reign of the doomsdays tie in in the middle. And it still managed oh, yeah. to like to, to do that well. And that was also my introduction to Marco Rudy's art. And he's just so weird and interesting. Um, I remember being at New York comic con 2010. Cause the book started in like late 2010, right? Yeah. Yeah. And you know, there are always these sort of big banners the publishers hang in their you know, in their booths, to, and that's always a good indicator of what they're really pushing that year. 
And there was a gigantic Superboy banner. And I remember being like, wow, that book is so weird and so cool. I'm surprised that that's where DC felt like, you know, it, it, it was going to be focusing. And then I remember being so disappointed by the Superboy of the New 52 for a million reasons. But because it seemed like that run was pretty well received and they went as far in the opposite direction as they possibly could have. Yeah, yeah, and it it had like a really great supporting cast, um, you know, characters that we probably never see again, <laughs> and it was just this like really cool self-contained thing that yeah had like some Twin Peaks vibes. Um, it it got really weird towards the end. It like um, tied into like the uh, what's his name, the Atlantean guy from the past, Aaron the Sorcerer, I think, oh, Orion. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like went really weird into like parts of the DC universe that you wouldn't have expected. So it's yeah. special. I like that run a lot. I think back when that was coming out, I tweeted Jeff Lemire because I'm pretty sure there was a line in there that was like, the next time you see me, it won't be me, which is a, a uh-huh. line ripped right from Twin Peaks. And I was like, oh, a Twin Peaks reference, and he and I think it was after the book got canceled or something like that, or we knew or that we knew it was being canceled or something. Uh-huh. And he said, "Yeah, if if I would have been allowed to continue this, there would have been a lot more of that stuff in that book." Man. So I, I always I always wish we got to see that, but yeah, maybe maybe twenty five years later. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> well played, well played. Um, my number four is a current book. Is it Deathstroke? It is Deathstroke. <laughs> oh, that's really good. I thought about uh, putting Deathstroke you know, on my I, list. I, I, when I first thought of it, I, I, I sort of like, oh, that's a cheeky thing to do and talk about how, you know, whatever. But when I think about it, it's, it, I don't think, maybe it's a bit of a provocative choice, but I don't think there's any book that is on this list that I could say is definitively, like, Head and shoulders better than Deathstroke, right? It's a it's a classic in its own time. Yeah, um, and it's you know I I realize that four of my five selections are from two like families of the DC universe, and uh, this is clearly in the Teen Titans family um, as Deathstroke is a you know a classic Titans villain, but I mean we've just we've talked ad nauseum on this show about how great Deathstroke is. And how unique it feels, and how different it feels. And you know, Vince, you had said that the Batgirl of Burnside is going to define Batgirl for the next decade or so. I ho- if if we live in a fair and just world, which we know we don't, um, this version of Deathstroke would inform the next twenty years of Deathstroke comics. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that's my only uh, current book in the in the top five. But and you know, maybe maybe Priest totally tanks it in the next 10 issues and I'll feel bad about it, but I can't imagine that being the case. I somehow doubt that. Yeah. Yeah. All right. What's your number three? All right. My number three is, uh, Jack Kirby's commandy. The last boy on earth. Interesting. It's my, it's my favorite, uh, Jack Kirby thing out of like anything DC that he's done for sure. I mean, with Marvel, it's a little more complicated because you've got, you know, all the stuff that he essentially created over there uh, that Stan Lee is mostly known for, you know, but like uh, 
as far as DC goes, I love Commandy. I love the original uh, run. I'm not Commandy challenges up and down, but uh, <laughs> I just love the the world and um, how like how like well defined it is, and how uh, you feel like he really mapped it all out and. And and anything can happen, you know, from from issue to issue. It was it was really like um, a, a swashbuckling adventure, you know. Mm-hmm. And and just my favorite thing that he's that he's done at DC for sure. I've never I've never read Commandy, and that's to my shame. Oh God, you want me to ship you the uh, Omnibi? Oh. <laughs> the shipping on that would be outrageous. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, I wonder how long did it run? Um, it's it was like four. It's forty some issues, I think. Let me. Okay. Hold on. I don't. I don't see. I'm not good with uh, numbers. There's twenty seven like like issues on Comicsology. Yeah, um, it's it's simultaneously right? longer than you than than it would get today, but still feels short. Wait, maybe it is only twenty. It's. I guess I just assume no, no forty. Yes, forty. Okay, they must just not have it all on there. Each omnibus has uh, 20 issues in it. Uh, this is probably like four or five years ago now. I was uh, I was in a, a town not that far from here in New York State, and there was a comic store that had a dollar bin, and there was clearly a mix-up, and they had like 20-something issues of Commandy in the dollar bin. And I, 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 like, I was cool about it. <laughs> I pulled them all. I walked up to the register, and the guy was like, these aren't from the dollar bin. I'm sorry. And I was like, well, how much do you want for him? And he was like, it was like $180. And I was like, nope, oh, no geez. thanks, it's cool. So, Jeez. Yeah. But I, th- I thought I was going to get away with, like, you know, 22 issues of Commandy in decent condition for a dollar yeah. piece. <laughs> Tell them to organize their shit better. Yeah. I-, I essentially said that in so many words. Um, Zach, what is your number three? Okay, this one's kind of convoluted. Okay. Um, so you guys know I'm big Legion guy. Yep. And what got me into Legion, and still one of my favorite things, is the like big meta story that Jeff Johns did in the mid two thousands. The Legion of Three Worlds. Yeah. So like, oh, so yeah. you, starting with um, Lightning Saga, which is definitely the weakest part, although it does have some things that I like. Um, and then the action comics arc that, well, I actually think it was like a few issues and then a whole arc, which was about nine issues and then Legion of the Three Worlds. So that all is 19 issues. And then there were four issues of action comics that had, uh, backups. So I'm going to count those two. So that whole thing as a run, um, I think that's a I really like, yeah, yeah. So I, I mean, I really like that, um, it, you know, does all of the Johnsy things that you would expect, um, you know, really big playing on history. It brought back the pre-crisis Legion because at that point, I think the Legion was still like the um, the like post-zero hour Legion was like mm-hmm. the official one. And so it brought back like the classic lineup with kind of their their original looks, but aged them all forward, like as if it, you know if they were all, like, no longer teenagers, but in their, like, you know, mid to late 20s. And there was some, like, really cool, good character dynamics. 
Um, and then also he kind of like weaved in stuff from like what he was doing in Green Lantern. Um, Superboy Prime showed up, had some good Gary Frank art. And uh-huh. then it's kind of like really sad. It like those action comics backups or I'm sorry, an action adventure, adventure comics um, backups kind of hinted at things that I feel like he maybe wanted to do or would do, but then kind of like he he jumped ship off of that and uh, action around the same time to, get, I guess, like do Flash and get ready for Flashpoint. But a lot of those threads were picked up in New Krypton and then the, the Levitt's run, which was also surprisingly good, so... That's still like my go-to Legion story. Nice. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so th- this next one for me is totally a, uh, a a personal choice that I don't know if it deserves to be in here, but it's important enough to me that I feel like I needed to put it on my list. Uh, and that is the Ron Mars, Daryl Banks, uh, Kyle Rayner, King Lantern stuff. Mm. Uh, there is still some very, very good stuff in there. There's also some stuff that has not aged all that well in there, but this was a run that was hugely important for me. It's it's essentially the reason I'm still reading comics. It was the point in my life where I was I was in like middle school at this point, and uh, it was when I fell in love with comics all over again. And Kyle Rayner is still my favorite Green Lantern, one of my favorite comics characters of all time. And, uh, you know... Th- the the Mars era of Green Lantern was tasked with, you know, all right, you have to get rid of everything about Green Lantern except for Kyle Rayner. You know, there was no more, there's no Guardians, there's no Core, there's no Sinestro, there's no Yellow, you know, uh, Immunity. There's like, there, there's, there's almost nothing about classic Green Lantern stories you can keep. And so Mars and Banks had to essentially remake the entire Green Lantern mythos in their own, you know, with within this run. And eventually it does, you know, circle back to some stuff that was happening, um, you know, in Green Lantern comics before they took over. But those first, like, 10 or 20 issues are, are very much an entirely new idea of what a Green Lantern comic uh, could be. And, uh, yeah, I love that stuff. Like I said, I don't know if it... I don't, I don't believe it necessarily is on par quality wise with some of the stuff here. And like, you know, I I'm kicking myself right now that like I didn't include, cause I, my initial list was eight long. And the last one I dropped was the, the fourth world saga. And ah. like, that's definitely better than this in terms of like act, objective comic booking. That is better than this, but this is so important to me personally that I felt like I couldn't have a list without, without this being on there. Right. That that's fine. I feel that same way about, like choosing the John's Legion stuff. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's just like it's important to me personally. So I respect your choice. Thank you. Vince, you're number two. Uh, <laughs> I talk about this all the time. Uh, this is my fondest. This is this is the time in my life of reading comics where. Um. I fell back in love with comics and it's the fondest uh, time that I can remember in the hobby. And it probably always will be like, I can't imagine my grizzled old mind ever enjoying comics more than 
more than more than I was at this time, and it all revolved around uh, Brian Q. Miller's Steph Brown Batgirl run. Um, from beginning to end, it was just this like great roller coaster ride of like awkwardness, <laughs> you know. Like that was the best thing about that book, like how awkward she was and balancing um balancing a school life with a with a superhero life that you don't really get like for whatever reason comic books don't really do that anymore, right? Drives like, me nuts by the way. That's so much I, fun. I know, like even the even the books in Rebirth that are kind of going back and doing a little bit of that, I feel like aren't doing enough of it, you know? You almost never see these characters out of their, you know, like Batgirl right now is one of the few that's doing that. And I don't know if I can, I mean, Blue Beetle, I guess, but that book sucks, you know, and like... Superman to a certain degree. Yeah. It, it, so it's, I, it's showing his life outside of being a superhero. Right, right. But other than that, like, you know, these books are hard. I, I guess Rebirth is getting back to that a little bit. But, man, I feel like the, the, the Steph Brown Batgirl stuff was just the perfect balance of that. It was like, for a time, it was, I thought that it must be what people used to think of Spider-Man when they were, like, the old, old Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, when they were younger in the 60s and 70s, you know? Like, that was my amazing Spider-Man. And... uh God, I love that run. <laughs> How many issues was that run? 20-something. Uh, hold on, let me... Let me look it up. I should have done this all before. No, no, I, I, I'm just trying to figure out how many trades that is. Is it like four trades? Three trades? Looks like it's three trades, 24 issues. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I would like to reread that soon. I, I gotta get those, yeah, for sure. That was such a great. That was such a great time. That was a great time. That, oh, what was, a time to be a bat fan. I mean, just to just to like let everybody in on like what was going on in my life at the time. That was that started shortly after I got my first real paying job, and uh, so it was like it was the first time since I was like teenager or high schooler where where I could like in high school I worked a job where I made some money to buy comics with you know but then like almost all throughout college I wasn't reading you know um and then when I got my first job again I I, like went to the comic book shop and it was like dropping yourself right in paradise you know yeah (laughs) and I had all this disposable income at the time that you know I've never had this much money in my life before you know and so I was uh buying like everything that DC put out but, and that was one of my favorite and the other the other favorite around that same time we'll talk about when we get to my number one but okay. uh, we'll probably all talk about it yeah <laughs> well there there are two things that I thought would have come up by now so so we'll see um we'll see what's you're your number own, two you're gonna own me aren't you no, no, I know what you, I know what you're gonna say, and it just doesn't. No, make no, my no, 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 not at all. No, I, there's no judgment here. I, I'm actually impressed. Our lists haven't fallen back on either of these yet, although mine is about to. Um, but Zach, what <laughs> back, is your number back two? On your bullshit. Yeah. Okay, I feel like I feel like I'm about to broach it, but in a way that you might not expect. Okay. If if I'm reading you right, so so obviously like Green Lantern, 
is a big deal to me. It's probably like what, like Jeff Johns' Green Lantern run is probably what got me into comics as hard as I did. Um, but retrospectively, I don't feel like his run has like aged super well for me. There's still parts of it that I like, like Sinestro Core War and um, a few things like leading up to Blackest Night and Blackest Night. But coming out of that, the Tomasi Gleason Green Lantern Core still remains like one of my favorite things interesting um so i'm gonna put that as my number two i considered it yeah i almost cheated and said like the green lantern runs of tomasi and gleason i meant of of tomasi and johns rather right um yeah but like so specifically so that's like they they like started working together in the middle of sinestra core war and then went up through Blackest Night. Yeah. And, and, then, and then Tomasi broke off and did uh, Emerald uh, Knights, Emerald right? Warrior. Emerald yeah, Warriors. Emerald, or Emerald Warriors, yeah. Yeah, which I didn't like. No, neither like, did I. I didn't like that very much. Um, so just that like that like sweet spot, which like really was my Green Lantern sweet spot anyway. Um, Sinestro Corps through Blackest Night. But they just did like such interesting things. I thought that the Kyle guy dynamic was like probably my favorite, um, like Green Lantern pairing, maybe like of that era and since. And just like such like weird characters that had such a great um, supporting cast again. And um, man, I just love I love that era so much which is why i was really disappointed when uh this the superman arc didn't have tomasi with gleason art (laughs) uh well my number two ties into that and that is the jeff johns green lantern run uh vince is that your number one no okay good uh so i can talk about this for a minute then so um Right before Green Lantern Rebirth is, I guess, no, that's not true. I guess up until, like, maybe a year after that represents the last point in my life when I wasn't reading comics. Like, I I had taken various breaks here and there, like, you know, Vincent said during college. College, actually, when I got back into them after taking off most of high school from reading comics. Um, But I had taken another break and... A friend of mine was like, you have to be checking out what Jeff Johns is doing with Green Lantern. And so I picked up a couple of trades that I had missed. And then I believe from Sinestro Corps on, I was on monthlies. And that was the last... So before that was the last time I was I was not reading comics in floppies every single month. And uh, while I, I kind of agree with Zach that after Blackest Night, that run takes a, a huge uh, dip in quality, at least for me. I don't know that I would... And, and, and again, Kyle is my favorite Green Lantern. I think Hal is probably my least favorite Green Lantern in a lot of ways. But there was something about the way that Johns wrote the Green Lantern characters that just gave them this stature in the DC Universe that had not been there, if not in a very long time or possibly ever. Uh, he really, for a while, made Green Lantern the second most popular character at DC. I think we forget that now because, you know... The Green Lantern books have have dipped in quality again, but you know, when, at the time that the movie came out, it was Batman and Green Lantern, and then everybody else. Mm. And I don't know if it's the movie that fucked everything up, 
or just the diminishing returns of the of the comic or or a combination of both but you know that was a really special time to be a comic fan and i remember like friends of mine saying to me like man you liked green lantern back before it was cool you know because <laughs> everybody was loving green lantern at that point and uh yeah you know it was just uh it was a special time to be a green lantern fan definitely was all right vince what's your number one my number one is Grant Morrison's Batman. Epic. Oh, well, we'll talk about that later. <laughs> I know, you guys both are number one, so let's talk about it now. <laughs> that that was We're... that was the second. That was number seven on my list after the Fourth World Saga. Oh, I just first of all, I'm I'm a Grant Morrison mark. There's no getting around it. Like mm-hmm. anything he does, I I think he's a genius. I know. Um, I really wanted to cheat and say my number one was Grant Morrison's chronology. Meta <laughs> yeah. meta DC arc. <laughs> yeah. But to specifically talk about Batman, like I just think, you know, everyone talks about how Morrison Morrison's thing is that he incorporates everything that's ever happened to a character into their history. He uses it all, you know? And I think sometimes that's overstated, but when it comes to Batman, I, I think that that fits perfectly. Um, because he embraced, like, we, we talk about how Tom King's run is like, uh, what if Frank Miller's Batman was also Adam West Batman, yeah. you know? And I feel like you can say that about Grant Morrison's, but he does it the right way. Like, right. Grant, Morrison, Grant Morrison's Batman can be incredibly dark. Not this, like, nearly murderous psychopath, but, like, you know, there's, like, a lot of occult stuff going on, and he ends up dying at one point, you know? And, and it's it's not like it's light fair, you know? But then at the same time, like he can get involved in, like, a groovy mystery that he could be, like, doing the Batusi during, basically. Like, you can imagine uh, Bruce Wayne down in Dr. Hurt's lair or whatever, and it's like, oh. it's like there were a couple issues where it got really psychedelic, you know, and yeah, um, some of the stuff that was going on, some of the visions that people were seeing, and, and uh, it was the best of both worlds in a way that, I fear we'll never see again because now, now to write a Batman story, it means that you have to have like the the Riddler carving a question mark in his chest and the dang Joker shooting people for fun, you know. And like, I feel like you can't... people have misinterpreted the the Grant Morrison thing where he says that every great Bat run has to kill Batman. Yeah, like, he meant that like conceptually kill Batman. <laughs> Right. You know, whereas, like, I feel like that's the message of Tom King's Batman is that like Batman should be dead. <laughs> yes. Yep. I think you're right. And uh, like, you'll never see the Joker defeat someone by making him slip on a banana peel ever again. Right. You know. But Grant Morrison did that. And uh, God, in every iteration, too, whether you're talking about. Um, uh, Batman and Robin or his Batman stuff, which dealt mostly with like Damien and um, uh, Ra's al Ghul and the League of Assassins and things like that. And then like the, you know, to the, to the, to the, to the Dick and Damien stuff. I mean, that's, come on. That's the best that's stuff. That's the best. Like, yeah. <laughs> I don't 
that run made me not like Bruce as Batman anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I would, yeah. That, oh, that run made me want, that run more than any other makes me want comic books to move forward with their yep. legacy, yeah, you know? Definitely. And, um, man, yeah, but like even, even, you know, before Batman and Robin, when it was just in the main Batman book and it was Bruce, that was some of the best Bruce as Batman that mm-hmm. I've ever read. Um, like, I'm just trying to think of the, like, that J.H. Williams murder mystery arc in the middle yeah. was so good. Tying in the Batman of many nations mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. setting things up for Batman Inc. way, way down the line. Um, and then just Batman Rest in Peace, that book, that arc was just crazy with Zurinar and... <laughs> And those great Alex Ross covers and tying into Final Crisis, which I, in my mind, is a part of this arc. Yeah. Um, it's, and you, is my you, favorite. You, uh, yeah. You, you, you can't have the Grant Morrison Bat epic without him dying in Final Crisis. Exactly, exactly. And, and Final Crisis is probably my favorite event book ever. Um, so, oh, man, that was just the most... <laughs> that that a run happened like that and it happened over the course of three very distinctly different books you know we've seen um in recent years like jason aaron has done a a multi-book thor run but each book is kind of essentially the same thing although you know like they switched to the female thor halfway through but like these were three sharply distinct eras um that all did something really special and interesting oh yeah. man well and plus the return of bruce wayne miniseries well right right and final yeah. crisis you know yeah, like final a few crisis. things like sprinkled in there um that was like one of the last times that we got uh frank quietly interiors at dc yeah um I will say this. I think that when we look back at Flashpoint and the New 52, like from a historical perspective, the biggest knock against it is going to be that it fucked up Batman Incorporated. Right. (laughs) Yep. That was such an interesting, unique idea. I remember when when I read that issue, was it Batman and Robin 15 maybe? At the end of the issue, where Bruce like announces Batman I think Incorporated, it was 16. 16? 16 was the last one, yeah, yeah. Like uh, I already been like, holy shit, that's a crazy idea, yeah. but I love it. I love it so much, and you know, it never. the The second volume just wasn't the same as the first volume because no. there were well, that, and, there was so much yeah. there were so many restrictions put on it. Yeah, but even the first the first volume was kind of weird because it was so delayed. It was only eight issues. It had that weird cyberspace issue that yeah. was, that was oh man. The first issue, the first I wonder like I would desperately like to know what was going on behind the scenes with that book because it was it, you know just like frequently delayed. Um, well, so much so that. It ended up spilling over into the new Fifty Two at one point, and there was that Leviathan. Leviathan strikes. Yeah, the one shot. Yeah, um, 
which was like supposed to be the wrap up to the first volume, but was published during the New Fifty Two. Yeah, yeah. So, um, Steph, so in that issue, Steph Brown. Steph's is still Batgirl. Back. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and it was kind of funny because like editorial is just like, oh no, it doesn't. It's it's all it's all still in continuity. Don't just squint. Yeah, which which it clearly was not. Right. There was like two dozen characters in that book that had never appeared in the New Fifty Two up to that point. Right, right. Well, then even like the first issue of Volume Two had the Outsiders show up. Yep. Who had you know not shown up at all in that way? Um, yeah, it was a wild, wild book. Yeah. Hell yeah. Yeah. But. And just to cycle back to the John's Green Lantern, that was really formative in my comic book reading, definitely. But I, it just started to become so like repetitive or unexciting towards the end that I just couldn't. Like I put things on my list that I felt were solid runs all the way through that I couldn't say there was a weak point. Mm-hmm. I thought so. That was the only thing keeping. I mean. There, there's no end to how important uh, Jeff John's Green Lantern is to me. I've got the tattoo to prove it. So, <laughs> but yeah. yeah, but Batman Morris's Batman. Batman is just always good. Yeah, which is why I'm going to get a Grant Morrison tattoo on my other arm. Are you really? No, but well, oh. now that I say it, I might. You should get. Um... Let me think about this. I'll think of something good for you. So something Grant Morrison Batman related. Well, I just I, I want the one. Uh, I just want a tattoo of the picture of him looking like Professor Xavier holding yes. all the characters. Oh, okay. Yes. That's gonna go on my chest. Okay. We should go together when I get my Superman three chest tattoo, and you get that tattoo. <laughs> Wait, are you getting one of the Richard Pryor? being held yes i told you that <laughs> superman flying holding richard pryor yeah <laughs> hell yeah cross my whole chest man <laughs> hey uh i have discussed this with a few friends i don't know if you guys are in the same boat uh the end of superman 3 fucked me up forever i what was the end i don't when, remember when uh robert wagner's sister goes into the computer and oh, becomes yes. like the half cyborg lady yes yeah. yes yep yeah. Oh boy. Yeah, it's bad news. Uh so my number one is no surprise to anybody. It's Starman by uh, yeah. James Robinson, Tony Harris, and Peter Snabjerg. Um Man, I'm surprised. Tell me more. <laughs> <laughs> I told you this is this is uh, especially on brand for me. But no, uh Starman is for those that haven't read it, what the fuck? Go read it. Um but it's um it, it it's it's kind of a combination of what of what you guys had said about the Grant Morrison Bat arc in terms of being a real case of comics moving forward. You know, Jack Knight was introduced in an issue of the Zero Hour miniseries and then took over as the lead in the book and was the Starman of the DC Universe for eighty issues or so. Uh, but beyond that. James Robinson incorporated every possible bit of Starman lore into the book, uh, whether it's Jack's father 
being the the golden age starman or jack's brother being a very short and ill-fated starman uh sort of twice actually if you read the book he's he's sort of starman twice um you get a little bit of the 70s alien starman a bit of the 80s starman a bit of the legion of superheroes star boy like there is so much it's just the the entirety of the concept of that character is is handled in the book um it's just such a complete story that doesn't i mean it left some marks on on the dc universe as a whole but not not many it's not it's not a run that is all that important in continuity but i think it represents i actually think that you know and maybe this is because i'm such a huge fan i feel like if you look at rebirth as a whole, it's kind of aping the Starman vibe. Yeah. Yeah, I could see that. Um, plus, just the way that James Robinson s- set up the the arcs with the times past stories taking place after each major arc, which is essentially uh, Jack talking to his dead brother. Uh it's 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 just it's it's an incredibly emotional series it's an incredibly uh cool series for i mean like you know i am not a solomon grundy fan but i abs- i adore the the starman solomon grundy you know <laughs> and there there are a lot of characters like that that just show up in the book i mean black condor has a major role in the book um the dibneys have a major role yeah. in the book um and to me, the, the the maybe the number one reason why it's it's so great it ends, you know, uh, notwithstanding the issue for Blackest Night and notwithstanding the second Shade miniseries that happened after it wrapped up. Although neither of those series involve Jack Knight at all, when Jack Knight rides off literally into the sunset at the end of Starman number eighty, he is only seen one more time in DC continuity, and that is he is at. Sue Dibney's funeral in cry in uh, Identity Crisis, uh. and he's not, he doesn't speak. You just see him sitting uh, crying at the, at the funeral. But that is you know when Jack Knight leaves, Jack is gone, and his story ends. And to me, that is so important for comics that a character can can do that. And Robinson has said that there's there are some stories to be told that that, that Jack went to Japan for a period of time. And that he would love one day to tell the stories of Jack and Japan. But even so, that's a story from the past that he really believes that the end of that story, when Jack quits being a superhero to raise his child, that that is the end of his story forever. And DC has respected that and has not used that character at all since since that issue. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it'll happen eventually. But the fact that it's been, you know, 15 or so years since that character's spoken a word of dialogue... It's pretty maybe, impressive. Maybe Robinson will be the one to do it. Mm-hmm. I I think part of him coming back is going to be him doing the, those Jack and Japan stories. That'd yeah. be great. That'd it, be great. It would be. And I would hope that he would get Tony Harris to do it with him. Mm. Uh, even though I, I'm not a big fan of Harris as a person, I think, <laughs> I think he is iconic. And, and for those that don't have the Starman uh, Omnibuy, Robinson writes like a, a pretty in-depth essay for each one. And it gives you this really great sense of just how much he thought about it. Like, for instance, when uh, Tony Harris left the book and Peter Snabier came on, there was a uh, 
an an issue with with Jack being physically really fucked up, and it took off all of his tattoos that he had, and that was like his purging of Tony Harris from the book. Uh. And like, there's a, there's a lot of metatextual stuff that Robinson talks about in those essays that are just absolutely incredible. And he even writes there's like a prose novella serialized over a number of them about the shade. And that's the other thing too. The, it's it's the Starman story, but the shade is almost as equally important in the book as as Jack is. Uh huh. I could talk about Starman forever. <laughs> yeah, it it would have been nice if DC had kept those Omnibuy around a little longer. I had the unfortunate so that those Omnibuy were coming out when I was in college, mm-hmm. and I had like limited comic funding, and so I think I. Managed to get a hold of three of them, but okay. then they went out of print before I could get the rest. See, and oh, go ahead. Sorry, finish just. Oh, your I was going to say, and then they were going to. They started putting them out in paperback, but then they didn't finish those. They'll so. eventually do that, I think. Um, but we'll uh, see. They almost did it again once, but then they reneged. Do you remember yeah, that? Yeah. They resolicited the third volume, I think, and then yeah, uh, pulled back. So, um. I have a cousin who will never hear this, who's a big comics fan, and he's he's a uh, he's one of these guys like he'll read an article about something and then buy the entire run before reading an issue of it. Oh, so I do that. So he bought the first three volumes of the Starman Omnibuy, and read the first issue and hated it, and gave me the first three. And so from that point, on, I just bought it as soon as it came out, each subsequent volume. So I was able to get it like you know before it. Before it went out of print, so I'm very thankful for that. That's crazy. Yeah, I don't know what he thought it was going to be, nor do I know why he bought three of them at once. Uh, I do that too, though. I well, definitely do. So do I, but I, I don't know if I'd buy all three, or if I did, I would convince myself I liked it probably. Hmm. To not like waste the because those those are like fifty dollar books, yeah. yeah. So I uh, I scooped up a, a while back. I scooped up um, all the hardcover Swamp Thing, uh, mm-hmm. the Alan uh, Moore ones. Yeah, the hardcover Alan Moore Swamp Thing. There's like six volumes, yep. I think, mm-hmm. without ever having read an issue of that. But I bought them all because. They were at a local comic book store, and I saw and I looked online, and they were all like, "They're super expensive." Yeah, two or three times their cover price, mm-hmm. especially like, the later the later volumes. I think, yeah, because they had li- more limited print runs, and yeah, yeah. So I was like, "Well, I I better buy these." I don't know if I, <laughs> but but at least that was an investment that you could then flip if you needed to. So yeah, so those are our top five DC runs. I I don't think any of us uh, will regret those choices in the morning. No. <laughs> I might have to go reread some of them. And and I don't think I really forgot anything if we consider that miniseries weren't allowed. You know. Yeah, I I will give the caveat. I I chose not to put any Wildstorm stuff on there. But if I included that, Planetary would have been on there, and it probably would have been pretty high. Sure. I uh, I considered the Jeff Johns JSA run mm-hmm. for me. Um, 
but I felt like Starman did all that stuff just better. Yeah. Uh, I considered the uh, Grant Morrison JLA, the Grant Morrison Bat stuff, uh, the Giffen de Mateus, uh, Justice League International stuff. I considered um, the uh, the Greg Rekka Wonder Woman. I yeah, there there were a bunch of things that just just couldn't fit. Yeah, but that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, thanks for listening, guys. We hope that you enjoyed this little different uh, different idea here. Hey, should we talk about the thing we're going to be starting soon? Sure. Yeah. So um, we're going to be starting something come October where uh, we're, we're not changing formats. We're not getting rid of anything. Uh, we're going to be a little bit more judicious about not talking about stuff we're not reading, like, you know... I think every week I ask Vince if he's read Harley Quinn, <laughs> and so maybe yeah. maybe we'll, we'll not. No. Yeah, maybe we'll not do that so much. But what we're gonna do is we're going to every other month one of us is going to pick a short-ish run or miniseries or whatever, and we're going to um, do a, a relatively in-depth reading of it. So starting this October, Zach has the first pick, and I'll let him talk about that in a second. We're gonna be. Um, We'll give you guys a couple of weeks head time. We'll, we'll give you the, the first book now, so you have a, a month or so to to track it down before we start talking about it. And uh, we'll tell you beforehand, like you know, this week we're going to read issues one, two, and three, whatever it is, and we're gonna we're gonna try and do a little bit more of an analytical, a little bit more of, a, of an in depth reading of these books, and that uh, we're gonna attack it at the end of the episodes. So if you just want to read it, hear about the rebirth stuff, you can do that. But if you want to take a journey with us in some of our favorite comics or some comics we've always wanted to read or, you know, iconic books or whatever it is. We're, we're going to try and switch up the types of books we're picking, I think, each time. Um, but we encourage you guys to to come join us on this. Uh, anything else to add about that, boys? No. Are we going to no. say Are we gonna say what? Uh... Yeah. Zach, you have the first pick. Take it away. Okay, yeah. Well, I wasn't, I wasn't 100% sure, but I might as well just go for it because I wanted to. <laughs> Um, yeah, so the first book that we're going to talk about is one that I've never read, but have long wanted to. It is the Legion Lost miniseries by uh, Dan Abnett and Annie Lanning and illustrated by Olive, Oliver, is it Oliver or Olivier? I don't, is he French? I don't know. Coipel. I believe it's Oliver, um, but I could be wrong. Oliver, okay. Um, yeah, so that was... Uh, much different than the uh, New 52 Legion Lost. Um, it was the... It actually... They, they took over the Legion book that had been running... Gosh, it was like over 100 issues at that point. And they... It, well, they did a crossover between Legion of Superheroes and Legionnaires that completely like shattered the status quo. And they um, kind of got to reboot, you know, one of the many famous Legion reboots. Uh with this like cool 12 issue mini series that then kind of spun off into some other things. But yeah, I've wanted to read it for a long time. So I'm pretty excited. Me too. Yeah. Yeah. I'm super excited to read it. I've never read this. So neither have I looking looking forward to it. Yeah. We're all going in fresh. So it'll be like it's new. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, we, you know, we'll, we'll hopefully get a lot of you guys to read it along with us. And that'll be a lot of fun. So until then, you can find the three of us on Twitter. I am at Brian Needs an App. 
I'm at VJ underscore OST, R O W S K I. And I'm at SirFox89. And uh, so you got about a month to track down the Legion Lost miniseries. And um, we hope you'll read with us. And we hope you join us next week when we'll have lots more rebirth books to talk about. So uh, thanks for listening and uh, enjoy. The phrase cracking your heart.